Thank you, Dan and choir instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. We're in sermon three of a 13-week sermon series from the Lucan Gospel. I'm asking you to be here for every one of these Sundays. We'll come to a culmination on Easter Sunday with the resurrection from Luke's Gospel. And if you've missed sermon one or two, please go back to the webpage and watch it or listen to it or print it off or read it online or whatever you need to do to catch up because we want everybody to be together as we journey through Luke's Gospel. The title of this third sermon is After Three Days. After Three Days. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Begin in just a moment with verse 39 through 40. Last week, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and everybody reported to his own city. Well, just as they had been obedient to the decree from the emperor and traveling to Bethlehem for the census, since Joseph was from the lineage and house of David, now, Mary and Joseph are obedient to the law of Moses in traveling to Jerusalem today to fulfill their religious obligations. Even at the earliest age, everything about Jesus was an extension of Judaism. Forty days after the birth of Jesus, the new parents travel with their infant son, this is verse 22 of chapter 2, for the purification according to the law of Moses. That process, 40 days after the birth of the baby, included three things. Mary's purification in the court of women with the sacrifice of a pair of doves or pigeons. Secondly, the redemption of the firstborn. We'll talk about this more in a moment, but you know the last plague, the firstborn died in Egypt, and not so with God's firstborn. They are redeemed, so they redeemed Jesus as their firstborn. And then following Samuel, like 1 Samuel 1, a consecration of the firstborn, Mary's purification, the redemption of the firstborn, the consecration of the firstborn were all involved most likely in that trip up 40 days after his birth. Either way, the main emphasis is clear. The family was both pious and obedient, fulfilling the commands of God. Joseph and Mary, as Jews, were pious and obedient in fulfilling the commands of God. Now, you remember what happened during that trip to the temple for the purification, the redemption, and the consecration. You remember there was an old man there by the name of Simeon, and he had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would see God's Redeemer before he died. And remember that particular day, he is led to the temple by the power of the Spirit of God. And when he sees Mary and the infant, he knows that it is God's Savior. And he takes baby Jesus into his hands and he says, I am now ready to die for my eyes have seen your redemption, O God. And Mary looks at Joseph and Joseph looks at Mary. How did he know? Who told him? How did he know about our special baby? 
And then there's an elderly woman. They're 84 years of age, of age by the name of Anna. She's a widow, and she's always in the temple. She never leaves. She's there night and day and day and night. And when she, she sees Jesus, just like Simeon knows, now Anna knows, and she tells everybody she sees about the redemption that comes through this new baby. Well, that's the story that's not our focal text today. But notice that, that Mary kind of ponders these things in her heart. And seeming is so bold as to tell Mary that many will rise and fall in Israel over this baby. And Mary, your own heart will be pierced because of him. Well, this section begins with the obedience of the law and it ends with grace. Well, let's look at verses 39 and 40. I entitled this, Setting the Stage. 39 and 40, setting the stage. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This sets the stage. Sometimes Luke uses these bookends. When this story's over, he's going to tell us again that Jesus is growing in wisdom. And it's pleasing to God and man. He tells us the first time. So verse 39, they have obeyed the law by making the trip to Jerusalem 40 days after the birth for Mary's purification, the redemption, the consecration of the child. Simeon and Anna have declared the Savior is here. Everything is done according to the law. They return to their own city in Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Obedient to the law, but ends the introduction with the notion of grace. In verse 41, I, I entitled this verse, Journeying to Jerusalem. Journeying to Jerusalem, verse 41. And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. In accordance to their piety... The family expressed the obligations once again, being obedient to what the law expected. Just like they'd gone earlier, 40 days after, now fast forward several years, now Jesus is age 12, and they're going to Jerusalem again. In fact, what we learn is they used to go every year. It is an annual trek for them to Jerusalem in order to observe the Passover. Jewish males were supposed to report to Jerusalem three times a year, not only for Passover, but for Pentecost and for tabernacles as well. So three times a year, every Jewish male was to report to Jerusalem for one of these three occasions. This is the occasion of Passover. It's late in the month of Nisan. It would have been Somewhere in late March or sometime around early April, just like our, our Easter. This year-by-year year rhythm reminds us of somebody else who always went to the holy place every year. Is it coming to you? Do you remember the story of Elkanah and Hannah? They went in 1 Samuel year after year for the feast at the temple. Well, just like the, the child that was a gift of God in Samuel, this child that's a gift of God, the parents make the annual trip to the holy place year after year. 
Now, Passover was just the beginning of a seven-day festival known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You remember what Passover was about? It is the central event of the Old Testament. It causes God's people to remember when they were in bondage to Egypt. God commands Pharaoh, you let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. We have that series of plagues. First, the river turns to blood. And then there are a lot of frogs. And then there are a lot of gnats. And so on it goes. There's hell storms. And there's balls. And there's locusts. And there's darkness. And in the midst of these ten plagues, for the last one it is said, if you refuse to let my people go, the firstborn of everything will die. And Pharaoh still says, no, you cannot go. You cannot leave Egypt. You're our workforce. You're our slaves. This is the way we build our great cities. You make the bricks. You lay the bricks. No. And you remember the death angel comes through. But God's people, the Israelites, are told to mark their door with the blood of a lamb, the Passover lamb. And therefore, when the death angel comes, it will pass over the houses marked with blood that's already been shed. In fact, the Exodus was something they remembered every Passover and every year. They were to do it in such a way that after centuries of slavery, the children would know and the children would understand. Exodus 12 reads this way. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children will say to you, what does this mean? Why are we having this meal? You shall say... It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes. You do this Passover every single year to teach your children to remember. So when your son asks, Daddy, we don't usually eat with our shoes on. Why don't we eat with our shoes on? This is really different. Oh, Because we never know when God's Spirit would call us to leave Egypt. So we had to have our shoes on our feet, be ready to go, to be liberated, freed from Egypt. I don't like these bitter herbs, Mama. Why are we eating these bitter herbs? They don't taste good. I don't want to eat those again. Oh, they remind us of the whip that cracked upon the back of our forefathers and foremothers when they made the brick and laid the brick. It was terrible under the Egyptians. It helps us to remember when we eat these herbs that our forebears had hard days in Egypt. Well, why do we wear our robes tied up high? That seems silly. You don't run around the house with your robe tied up high because you got to be ready to run when the Spirit of God says go. Do this year after year after year so when your children ask you can say this is how God saved our people. It was unlawful to celebrate the Passover outside of Jerusalem so they had to go to Jerusalem to do it. But this is what I want you to see as we 
have a coherence between all of these sermons, the next time I'm talking to you about Passover will be the end. The next time Jesus journeys to Jerusalem for this Passover, it will be the time of his death. Somehow, this early journey to Passover to Jerusalem with young Jesus at 12 years of age is a foreshadowing, a prophecy by Luke about the next time you hear those words in his book. And the next time, just like this time, he's in the temple, he's in his father's house, and he's teaching and listening and debating. It will be that way again. But you need to hear this. The next time it's Passover, the death angel will not pass over. Jesus will be the lamb. The firstborn will die. And his blood will mark that God's wrath will pass over us, the new Israel, those who have said Jesus is Lord. This Passover that Jesus will come will lead to a new liberation. No longer are we the slaves of sin and death. We are set free. Verse 42, I call coming of age. Coming of age. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. At age 13, a Jewish lad was obligated to observe the law. At age 12, therefore, it was this year of discernment when he learned the law and what he would have to obey because he would become a son of the covenant or a son of the law. You know it as bar mitzvah. Bar is son. Son of the law or son of the covenant. So this 12th year is a year of discernment to become an observer of the law. Now, interestingly enough, Luke surely knew that a lot of famous characters in history have great stories about them when they're 12 years of age. There's a story out there about Cyrus and one about Samuel and one about Epicurus and Solomon and Daniel and even Moses and Alexander the Great. Great men have 12-year-old stories, and this is a great story of Jesus. Verses 43 and 44, losing the Lord. Now, that's not a good title, is it? But that's what happens. Losing the Lord. Let's look at verse 43. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. And when a day's journey, they began looking for him among their relatives and their acquaintances, losing the Lord. I've done the funerals for Ted Roberts, who served as, well, numerous positions in Baptist communities in New Mexico, but he was also a minister of music in several local churches. And when sharing stories about her deceased dad, the youngest daughter, Carla, talked about she never forgot, this is 1960s, the day her mom and dad forgot her and left her at church. Stayed in her mind for decades. They just left me. They, they forgot me. Well, Mr. Music are often the last ones to leave the church. I don't know if they clean the trumpets or let the water out of the baptistry or whatever, but, but Ted was often the last one to pick up his child from the preschool area. And so the preschool area worker didn't think it was anything unusual for the Minister of Music to be running behind. 
And well, she waited and she waited and nobody came to get little Carla. And finally, as time continued to pass, it was time to eat lunch. And so there's no cell phones in 1960. They called the house and said, did you forget something at church? Well, yeah. Carla, where's Carla? We forgot Carla. The wife, Bo, thought that Ted had Carla, and Ted thought that Bo had Carla, and nobody had Carla, and Carla was left at God's house. And she never forgot it. Her, her dad, Leah, lived to be 96 years of age, and she never quite got over it, I could tell, as she told the story. Just left there at God's house as a little kid. That's kind of the way I envisioned this story. The family starts with a caravan traveling for three days. It's a three-day journey from Jerusalem back to Nazareth. Now, they traveled in caravans for safety. You go as a big group, everybody going to Nazareth, getting this group, and here we go. And that way the kids could play together and they would run to the front of the line sometimes as they travel. They would run to the back of the line and they would see. And, and you could just watch everybody, kids, from the village. You just, as a parent, you kept an eye on everybody. And Joseph was sure that Mary knew that Jesus was in the back of the caravan. And Mary was sure that Joseph had made sure that Jesus was in the back of the caravan. And well... It's when they go to set up tents after a full day's journey and they look around and Jesus hasn't come to their tent. And the way I picture it, Mary says, to, you know Joseph's in trouble. There's no way around this. Mary says to Joseph, where's Jesus? And Joseph said, no, no, don't put that on me. Don't you pin that on me. I thought you had Jesus. And of course, at the end of the story, Joseph is wrong. And Joseph admits that he was supposed to be keeping up with baby Jesus. It goes something like that. We had a recent vacation Bible school, and it's a family fun night out on our lawn out here, our, our football field. And, you know, it's 1,200 hot dogs and 400 pieces of pizza and 200 barbecue sandwiches and 20 blow-ups. And somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people milling around, and there's security there, and there's staff there. But all of a sudden, we noticed there was one family that was a little bit distraught because the youngest daughter was missing, and the security personnel were notified. Everybody on the staff got a text saying, we're looking for so-and-so, and we all look for so-and-so. And it was just a few minutes, and the panic was over, and the child, of course, was safe and sound. But I looked to the, to the mother and to the father, who were obviously unnerved, and said, you will never read the story about Jesus being lost the same way again, will you? And they said, you're right. It was awful. We were panicked. And I said, and you had about 15 minutes? Of uncertainty they had three days can you imagine the anxiety they traveled a day away they have to travel a day back there's two days they find him on the third day the anxiety that they had I think it is a terrible mistake for a modern reader to say oh back in those days kids it didn't matter oh it did matter you can hear in Mary's voice, it mattered. They loved their kids back then just as much as you love your kids or grandkids now. Loving your children isn't anything new. And they were missing Jesus, and they were absolutely distraught. Well, look at, look at verse 46. I entitled this, After Three Days. 
after three days. And it came about after three days. If you write in your Bible, underline those words, circle them, highlight them. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Oh, don't mistake that language. After three days. After three days. Being distraught and then on the third day, finding joy. Where are we going here? This is the resurrection story. It's a prophecy, a foreshadowing that Jesus is missing and they are distraught for three days. And then there is joy and fighting of Jesus on the third day. Perhaps a premier New Testament scholar alive today, N.T. Wright, says that Luke wants you to read this. He wants the whole gospel to be about Easter. After three days, they find Jesus. Being distraught, crucifixion, finding Jesus, rejoicing, resurrection. After three days, the language is purposeful. The time is no mistake. Well, verse 47, amazing them all, amazing them all. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Look at that, answers. Jesus is not only asking questions in the temple, he's also giving answers. Amazing. That's a, an odd way to describe a response. Jesus is 12 He's amongst the scribes. They're debating the law, asking questions. Now Jesus is 12, and he's a teacher. And they are amazed at the 12-year-old boy's response. The reason the word amazed is unique and important is in Luke's writings, the word is a response to a miracle. This word amazed is usually the response in Luke to a miracle. So that... In Luke chapter 8, when the dead girl is raised, her parents are amazed. Or the disciples of the road to Emmaus, when they talk to Jesus, they report that they went to find the body of Jesus. They could not find the body of Jesus, but they saw angels saying that he was alive, and they, the women, were amazed. Or, or even in Luke's second volume, this is the way he uses this word, is a response to a miracle. When the Holy Spirit is poured upon them in Acts chapter 2, and the apostles preach in such a way that everyone hears the gospel in his or her own language, the people were amazed. So when you read this word in Luke, you know that God is at work in a miraculous way and the people, as if a resurrection has taken place, are amazed that the 12-year-old boy knows this much about the law. Verse 48, declaring their desperation, declaring their desperation. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, why have you treated us this way? You don't think Mary was distraught? Son, not even Jesus. Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, I told you Mary's going to take charge. Behold, your father and I. She speaks not only for herself, she speaks for daddy too. Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. 
that's a, a neat summary of a long conversation. I can't believe you did this to us. You've been missed for three days. We got all the way to Jerusalem. We put up the tent. You know how it went with Mary. She said the whole thing. You, why have you treated us this way? Distraught. They are distraught. When they find their son, he's not sitting on the sidelines in silence. He's having a conversation with the scribes about the law, about Scripture. Verse 49, unfolding God's plan. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, verse 49, and he said to them, why is it you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's house? I had to be in my father's house, or your translation may say, about my father's business. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this particular verse. First of all, is the use of the word father. Verse 48, Mary said, your father is anxious, and he says, no, I am with my father. Little f, Father Joseph, capital F, Father God. Now, I, I'm sorry, my father, little f, is anxious, but why are you looking for, more, for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? The other thing I want you to see is the word had to be. It is a language of necessity. It is one little Greek verb, one that says I have to be. It is used throughout Luke when it is God's divine plan. In fact, Jesus will say to the, to the disciples on another occasion, the son of man has to suffer be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. That's Luke 9, 22. I had to be. Now, look at the rest of the verse. I had to be in my father's house. Now, it literally translates this way. I had to be in the blank of my father. I had to be in the blank of my father. The word house is not in the Greek text. That's why some say I had to be about my father's business. It really doesn't matter. What Jesus is saying is I had to be centered upon the will of my real father, my father with a capital F. I had to be engaged in my father's business. 50 and 52, increasing in favor with God in men. Increasing with favor with God and men. And they did not understand the statement which he made to them. They didn't quite get it. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Unless you think Jesus was a disobedient boy, Luke wants you to know, he continued in subjection to his parents. And Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Have you heard that before? Look over at chapter 2, verse 19. After the shepherds come and find the baby Jesus in the manger. 2.19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 2.51. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Man, what we wouldn't give to have Mary's diary. Her pondering. We're talking about the visit from the angel and how different Jesus was and yet how the same he was and how he skinned his knee when he played and he cried and he was just like his brothers and his sisters and 
yet it's totally different. And sometimes he says the strangest things like, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Mary treasured and pondered in her heart. Bookend on the other side. We started by saying he was growing in wisdom before God and men. Look how we end in verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and statue in favor with God and men. And Jesus kept growing in statue and favor with God and men. Sometimes it was those closest to Jesus who had the hardest time getting the gospel. Mary and Joseph. I mean, we want to read it and say, you had a visit from an angel. You were a virgin. You gave birth. I mean, why are you surprised about anything? Because he seemed so ordinary so much of the time. Because the story had never been written and she had no idea. The divine plan of God was unfolding before her eyes in her house and at her table. Sometimes the disciples who walk with him for three years have the hardest time getting the gospel. And he keeps saying, the Son of Man must suffer and die, be rejected, and he'll rise again on the third day. And no, 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 stop talking like that. We'll never let that happen. And let's get back to the plan of the kingdom. Sometimes those closest to Jesus, those who grow up with him, have the hardest time getting the gospel. Sometimes those who grow up in the church have the hardest time getting the gospel. It loses its radical edge. It's so familiar, it loses its power. Don't let that happen to you. Let those in the house of God hear the word of God. After three days, there will be joy. Let us pray. Perhaps there's some watching by way of television or some here in this room so close to the gospel they can't get it. They downplay the radical demands it places upon their life. They try to make the gospel fit into their everyday routine. And they cannot see that the plan of Yahweh is unfolding before our eyes in a 12-year-old boy who skips the trip back home to be found with joy after three days as he amazes the people with his wit and wisdom because he seems to know God like no one else. Oh, God, I pray today if there's someone who would say, this is my day to find Jesus in the temple. This is my day to find joy, to get the gospel. That even today, they would come. Maybe others be a part of this church family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.